Hello and welcome back in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride of MileHighSports.com. That is where you can find all of the content that me and my team produce for the Denver Nuggets and all other sports in Colorado. Just type in MileHighSports.com. You'll see all of the sports with their icons in the top right corner. Click that Nuggets one, as I have told you before, to find all of the content from the Nuggets team at Mile High Sports. The Nuggets just got their biggest win in a decade. They just beat the San Antonio Spurs in Game 7, 90-86 in what was an ugly game that turned out to be incredible. It was one of those nights where no one could hit shots. I mean, even when you look at the box score, Nuggets shot 2 of 20 from 3. The Spurs shot 6 of 23 from 3. The Spurs shot only 36.5% from the field, while Denver was just a hair under 40%. It was a grinded out, battling kind of Game 7. This was not a game that was easy or beautiful. This was a game where guys really had to dig deep to be able to find a way to get a win. So I'm going to dive into all kinds of storylines, and specifically Nikola Jokic's just complete dominance in this game. Um, How great Denver was on defense yet again. Um, I do want to get into Jamal Murray's second half and how important he is to this Denver Nuggets team, as well as the importance of Paul Millsap to this team. Paul Millsap did not have a huge game, but man, I mean, think of it this way. He was a team high plus four. The next highest plus minus was Tory Craig, which was a, I'm sorry, Paul Millsap was a plus 12. The second highest was Tory Craig at a plus four. And yet he only scored nine points, only had seven rebounds, but there was a reason he was so important in this game. So I do want to talk about some Paul Millsap stuff. Um, I'm not going to look too far ahead to Portland. I will answer some questions that came in from listeners, but I'm going to do a separate podcast tomorrow. Well, Sunday, which is actually today because it's like five in the morning, but um, I will be doing another podcast later on about this, uh, about the Blazers in particular, but I will answer a bunch of listener questions that came in. As you could expect, there were a lot of questions that people had after this game, so I picked like eight or so questions that I'm going to answer and go through as well. Before I do that, though, got to pay some bills. Uh, first, quick shout out to the Regulators Production Group for making the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. You can find them at Regulators Regime on Instagram. You can also follow at Rod Simba on Instagram, who is one of the three regulators in the regular in the Regulators Production Group. Uh, for all of your audio production needs, they are there for you. They're the ones who made the beats that you hear on this podcast all the time. So give them some love. And also Terrapin Care Station, which is the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Without Terrapin Care Station, there is not a podcast. So before I go any further, here is a quick word from Terrapin. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the product that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com.
got to start at what was, again, just an incredible performance by Nikola Jokic. He ended up finishing this game with just 21 points while shooting 9 of 26 from the field and missing all four of his threes. But that just didn't matter because everything else he was doing, 15 rebounds, 5 of them were offensive, 10 assists, 0 turnovers, 3 block shots, a steal. Yes, his shooting numbers were not good, but he continued to shoot when the Nuggets needed him to. He carried them when the Nuggets needed him to. And his aggressiveness set the tone for his playmaking because there was so much attention drawn onto Nikola that he was able to continually keep finding open teammates to be able to create great looks for them despite the fact that his own shots were not falling. And I think if you go back a year in time, there's just no way that Nikola Jokic would have continued shooting despite the fact that he was missing so often. He would have gotten more in his head. He would have, uh, I guess, gotten more hesitant and tried to fall back into a specifically playmaking role. But as he has grown into this franchise player and this legitimate star player, he has realized that him shooting is not a negative thing as long as he is getting the right shots. And he was getting the right shots. They just weren't falling. And that's going to happen, especially considering that he played 43 and a half minutes, which is, I think, the most he's ever played in his career without actually pulling up on the computer because I forgot to look that up. That is my bad. Um, but for him to continue battling, continue fighting, continue putting up shots, even though they weren't falling, it was huge for Denver. And Michael Malone, after the game, he talked about how he he second-guessed himself because he left Nikola Jokic in to play the entire fourth quarter, and he missed his first four shots, and Malone said to himself, basically, like, maybe I should have gotten him some more rest. Maybe I should have made sure that he wasn't too fatigued, but... They needed him, and this is what Malone said, they needed him to continue to spread the floor because of the attention he grabs and the fact that he makes every single person on the floor with him on his team better. And he did that. His shot was not falling, but yet he found Torrey Craig for a gigantic layup that he had on a back cut and also ran that DHO with Jamal Murray that got them the last bucket they made, which ended up being the go-ahead bucket that Jamal hit from the left elbow on the floor. So... While Nikola Jokic's shot was not falling, he continually found ways to help in this game. And that's why, to me, while Jamal Murray did have better numbers overall, Nikola Jokic was still the MVP of this game, just as he has been the MVP of this series. And now that we can kind of look at Nikola Jokic's first NBA series as a whole, it's staggering what he has been able to do. So he has two triple-doubles because he finished with a triple-double tonight with his 21.15 rebound 10 assist triple double he also had a 10.14 rebound 14 assist triple double in game one if I remember correctly and he also had a 43.12 rebound nine assist game which was only the fourth ever done in playoff history so what that all adds up to is Jokic averaging 23.1 points per game, 12.1 rebounds, and 9.1 assists per game. The only other player in NBA playoff history to have those numbers across an average for a full season was Oscar Robinson 56 years ago. That is the kind of rarefied air that Nikola Jokic is in. Simply stated, Nikola Jokic being this good at this early in his career in his first ever playoff series against a team like the Spurs in Game 7, 
being pushed to his limit this far, playing 43 and a half minutes, and then not only that, but playing phenomenal defense on top of it, that's insane. Nikola Jokic was probably the Nuggets' best two-way player in this series. That's how good he was on defense, too. Gary Harris was a better overall defender, but in terms of just overall impact on the game, Nikola Jokic was the best two-way player the Nuggets had. That is insane considering that when you look back in time a year ago, you would have been laughed out of the room for saying that Nikola Jokic would have been the catalyst for the Nuggets defense that held the Spurs to just 86 points. That is mind-boggling to me. And it was all on the back of Nikola Jokic, who was just once again absolutely outstanding in this game. And now, the way that I look at it, there is very, very, very few series or teams that have a player who is better than Nikola Jokic. He has officially supplanted himself as at least a top 10 player in the NBA, if not even higher, depending on how you weight certain skills and what you think is more impactful on a court than others. So Nikola Jokic, what he has been able to do in his first playoff series, there there are not enough good things to say. And that's why Greg Popovich called him magnificent and then said it again. He said that he was magnificent and then emphasized magnificent again. Like that is... When Greg Popovich is doing that, that's insane. Michael Malone called him a future Hall of Famer, an All-NBA player, and an MVP candidate today in his pregame conversation. Nikola Jokic is that good, and he's still just 24 years old in his fourth season in his first playoff series that he just completed. So, what a ridiculous ridiculous series from Nikola Jokic, something that I will never forget. That was an absolutely legendary playoff arrival from a player like Nikola Jokic. Um, That's enough ranting about Nikola Jokic. I do really want to talk about Denver's defense because, Lord, were they good tonight. And it wasn't just that the Spurs were missing shots. It was one of those things where Denver just battled every second. The Spurs only finished with 34 points at halftime. The Nuggets were just flying around. Nikola was great down low using his positioning. Jamal Murray was battling at the point of attack. Gary Harris swallowed Derek White whole tonight. Derek White was 0 of 7 from the field and 0 of 4 from the three-point line tonight. Only had four points, had a turnover, and only two assists. Like, just absolutely annihilated him. And Paul Millsap was great defensively. You had Will Barton making great defensive plays like these big blocks. You had Torrey Craig just everywhere. His energy was... Was infectious in this game, so <coughs> oh, pardon me, but um, the Nuggets' defense, like there was such a a consistent intensity on defense from the Nuggets in this game, and honestly, these this seven game series has probably been the best seven game stretch of defense that this Nuggets core has ever played. That is how good they have been. This Nuggets team has stepped to the plate in the playoffs as the eighth youngest playoff team in NBA history, and have absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I know that people are like, "Well, it's a seven game series against an inferior opponent." The Nuggets had so many outlier shooting performances that were negative while the Spurs had outlier shooting performances that were positive, and the Nuggets were one bucket away from winning the series in game in five games. Like, that's how good Denver was, and they have never been in the playoffs before as this core, other than Will Barton for a couple games, uh, Paul Millsap, and then Mason Plumley. That is 
insane to me. And on top of that, they hadn't won in San Antonio in like 52 years or something. So for them to be able to overcome all of these different things is such a big deal. And it was because their defense was so consistent throughout the series. It always gave them a chance to fight back and really be a part of these games and have an opportunity to win them late was because of that defense. So what hats off to the Nuggets for holding the Spurs to 36.5% from the field, 26% from three, and then just absolutely flying around and playing with so much intention and urgency on that side of the floor. The next thing I wanted to get into was the way that Jamal Murray kind of emerged in this game in the second half. Uh, Brandon Ewing has a great piece up on Mile High Sports right now about Jamal Murray being the X factor for the Nuggets. And I think what that comes down to is when you look at the numbers, every so in every single one of the Nuggets wins, Jamal Murray scored over um, 23 points. In all of the losses, it was quite different where he was scoring, I think, like 13 points a game. The disparity was so extreme in terms of Jamal Murray in wins and Jamal Murray in losses. So just listen to this. So Jamal Murray in the three losses averaged 13 points, two rebounds, and 2.7 assists against three turnovers. So a negative assist-to-turnover ratio. And then on top of that, he shot 35.4% from the field and a brutal 18.8% from three. In Denver's four wins, Jamal Murray averaged 23.5 points, which is 10.5 points more than in losses, 3.3 rebounds, which is almost a rebound and a half more than losses, 3.8 assists, which is a full assist and some change more than in losses, and only 1.3 turnovers, which is over half of the turnovers that he has in losses, while also shooting 51.5% from the field, about 15% better, and 47.4% from three, which is about 30% better. So what Jamal was able to do in wins compared to losses, it was so clear that when Jamal plays well, the Nuggets win because they know what they're going to get from Nikola Jokic because he always delivers on a consistent basis. What the Nuggets don't know what they'll get is enough supplementary help from their other players. They need a second star to consistently step up alongside Nikola Jokic to supplement the production that he puts up by himself. Jamal Murray was that guy in their wins and was not that guy in their losses. So I do think that what Jamal was able to do in that second half after really struggling, I think he had seven points in the first half and then ended up finishing with 23 total, had, I think, 16 points in the second half. And they were all huge buckets, including the go-ahead bucket to win the game um, with, like, 50 seconds left when he hit that hard, that high-arching uh, shot from the left elbow. Also, very interesting little tidbit was that Jamal Murray missed his potential game winner in game one from the right elbow and then hit the game winner from the left elbow to win the series. That was a really kind of cool moment to see Jamal Murray's um, his fight to improve and kind of the rectifying of the haunting that that miss in game one had done to him. So for him to do that, for him to be able to get 23 points on 19 shots and not hit a three-pointer, you could just tell he was getting downhill being very aggressive, and that was big. And also, something else I wanted to point out about Jamal, his playmaking was superb tonight. His passing was great. Um, 
he technically only finished with four assists, but he had way more high-level passes than the four assists really show. So I do think that Jamal, the version of Jamal that we've gotten the past few games, where it's been an efficient score, but focusing on creation, focusing on defense, focusing on making the correct decisions, that's been the best version of Jamal Murray that we have seen this year. And when he plays like that, Denver is almost unbeatable. He is that good, in my opinion. Um last thing from this game that I really wanted to hammer was Paul Millsap because when you look at his stat line 3 of 10 from the field missed all four of his three of his three-point attempts seven rebounds zero assists and a turnover but yet somehow he was a game high plus 12 in this game when the second highest plus minus on the Nuggets team was Torrey Craig at plus four Paul filled in the gaps perfectly tonight. In the fourth quarter, he had two gigantic offensive rebounds that didn't lead to points, but sucked up a ton of game clock. He was flying around defensively, getting 50-50 balls, getting to the free throw line despite the fact that his shot was not falling. He had three of his four free throws in this game, but really did such a phenomenal job of just doing exactly what Denver needed of him. He was the leader on the floor, and his stat line does not need to show how impactful he was. The fact that the Nuggets outscored the Spurs by 12 points in his 35 minutes despite him only shooting 3 of 10 from the field says everything you need to know about Paul and what he has brought to the table he has been so much more important than anyone has really talked about his his importance to this Nuggets team is extremely understated but there was a perfect example of how important he was or I guess just something that reveals and kind of pulls the curtain back on the way the organization feels about him and it was when Paul Millsap left the, the court after the Nuggets won and got to the locker room, Josh and Stan Kroenke were outside the locker room and gave him a big old hug. And you could tell that the Nuggets winning this playoff series was complete validation for them bringing in Paul Millsap because he gave them the veteran edge that the Nuggets just do not have um, because they had never been there before. They're not veteran players. And he gave them that when they needed it. He was their rock when they needed it. And because of that the Nuggets are now going to the Western Conference semifinals to take on a very depleted Portland Trailblazers team that they have a very good opportunity to beat and go to the Western Conference finals like that is where the Nuggets are on the path towards and they wouldn't have been here without Paul Millsap full stop he has been that important to this team and despite what his numbers on a stat line say his importance is unbelievably um, hard to quantify, but it's as important as anybody not named Nikola Jokic on this roster. All right, time for what is my favorite segment of this show, which is answering questions from listeners and people who listen, basically. Um, sorry, but my I'm delirious at this point, so hang with me here. But um, let's just go off the top and just start flying down the list. Um, Hayden asked, uh, what was the, the detailed description of what it was like to be there tonight? And I wanted to answer this question because I think it really... Uh, it signifies the growth the Nuggets have had, not just internally, but externally as well. So Malone, after the game, he talked about how quiet it used to be, called it a witness protection arena, where guys were just being quiet and not trying to stir the pot. It was just a very docile environment when Malone first got here four years ago. I was at Game 6 in 2009... 
Uh, no, 2011, when the when when Ty Lawson had like six threes in the first quarter, and the Nuggets beat the Lakers to force a game seven. That was originally the loudest I had ever heard the Pepsi Center. What I heard tonight for Game Seven was absolutely insane. I have never heard the Pepsi Center that loud before, and the fans were just locked in. You could tell that they were hanging on every single moment that was happening, and. You could feel the Nuggets feeding off of that, and the fans never um, got frustrated. It was never a situation where it was like, you know what, they're going to lose. They never folded on the on the Nuggets, and they continued to cheer the entire game no matter how tight it got, and they were phenomenal tonight. To see the Nuggets win that game that close, specifically because the Spurs did not foul down four with the Nuggets having the ball and the clock running down, specifically because they could not hear Greg Popovich five feet away from them yelling to foul because the Nuggets crowd was so loud, that tells you everything you need to know. The crowd was wild tonight, and it was just so cool to see that Denver really rallied around this Nuggets team tonight. And they cared. And the fans, they weren't just Fairweather fans. They were Nuggets fans. They were not, you know, San Antonio fans. They were Nuggets fans. So that was fantastic. The aura in the arena was insane. And when they started popping that confetti, you could just feel the relief and the excitement in that arena. And honestly... The Avalanche get the same kind of love, and now that the Avalanche and the Nuggets are both in the second round of the playoffs, the Pepsi Center is going to continue to be one of the most fun places to be in all of Denver. What a ridiculously fun night, and I'm happy you brought that question up because it deserved to be talked about. Alright, next one. Omar asked, what does this series say about the immediate and long-term future of the Nuggets? For me, it it immediately puts them into the conversation as a legitimate top four seed for at least the next three, four years, so long as this roster stays together. This is the official cementing of the Nuggets being legit. The whole frauds and fraud superstar and see you next year kind of thing that was floating around about the Nuggets before the playoff series against the Spurs happened, those should be dead now. They should not be around. They should not exist. This Nuggets team has proven itself time and time time again. That's what I took away is that this Nuggets team is for real. They are not here just to be a one and done or a, you know, a flash in a pan kind of a team. They got real aspirations and so much more growth ahead of them. Jamal Murray hasn't even scraped this anywhere near his ceiling yet. Gary Harris still has improvements that he can make. Um, you still have guys like Will Barton who have struggled and been injured all year. Nikola Jokic, who knows how much better he can get. And that's without the Nugget changing their roster at all or without talking about guys like Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, all these guys that are really high upside guys themselves. So for me, this completely removes the idea of the Nuggets being imposters. That's how I feel about this game, Omar. Miss um, Hyde asks, what percent chance do you give the Nuggets to beat Portland? For me, I'm very high on the Nuggets in their matchup with Portland. I think the Nuggets have a... Screw it. I'm delirious. I could use that as an excuse. A 75% chance to win that series. That's how much better they are, in my opinion, especially with Yusef Nurkic hurt. That's a very big deal in the series because the Spurs, I'm sorry, the Portland Trailblazers have absolutely nobody who can match up with Nikola Jokic. On top of that, the Nuggets are not going to have to fight with the whole idea that they haven't won in Portland like they hadn't won in San Antonio. The whole mental approach 
the looming overarching narratives don't exist for Denver negatively against Portland like they did against San Antonio. Actually, the opposite is true. The Nuggets have beaten the Trailblazers six straight times, if I remember correctly, including all four times this year. So this has nothing to. This is a very different series than the San Antonio series. But the Nuggets have all of the opportunities in the world to win this series. They are better, and they have the right matchups to exploit them. And the Portland Trailblazers being this banged up is just going to make Denver's life that much easier. So I do think that the Nuggets handle business in a big way in this series. Um... Will this team be exhausted in the series against Portland? The John Wick fan account asked this question. Um, Yes, I do think so. Nikola Jokic has never played this many minutes before, and the Nuggets have a total of one day in between Game 7 against San Antonio and Game 1 against Portland. So I do not expect Denver to go into that game fully rejuvenated and ready to go. Like, Jamal Murray has been beaten to a pulp over the past three weeks. Like, he has been struggling like his shoulder is hurting his leg is hurting he clearly looks like he is in pain more often than not so I do think Denver is tired I think they're going to need to rely on guys like Gary Harris Monte Morris Paul Millsap to help carry them but the other thing is that most of these Nuggets players have never played this deep into the season before like the only few players on this team that have been to the playoffs before has been inconsistent other than Paul Millsap. So they have never played this many games. Like they are now at game 90 is coming up next. Like they have not done this before. So I do expect them to be exhausted against Portland in that series. David East, who has been a good friend of the show and is always asking questions, shouts to you, asked, how do the Nuggets stop CJ McCollum? Um, I'm going to do a big film study that I'll end up dropping sometime late Sunday. I don't know when, probably after I watch Game of Thrones. But I do think that the Nuggets, whoever CJ McCollum ends up defending, I think the Nuggets are going to run that person, whether it's Gary Harris or Jamal Murray, through just mazes of screens. CJ McCollum is not fully healthy, and if you want to tire him out, you do it on the defensive end of the floor. So I think you run him through as many screens as you can, see if he can keep up with you, try and exploit him in the pick and roll and get him to switch onto like Nikola Jokic and bigger guys so that they can exploit those mismatches down low. You have to attack him though. So I do think that's how they can slow down CJ McCollum because they, if they make him work defensively, they'll be able to slow him offensively. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how they end up dealing with that. Uh, Joe asked, what is better, rest after ending a series or battling for seven games and getting right back to competing? This is a very interesting question. It sounds stupid because, of course, teams would rather have more rest and be done with this season early, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, the Nuggets are, I think, 10-1 and one on the second night of a back-to-back. They have always been better when they get straight back to work. This Nuggets team just wants to play basketball. So I do think if they had like a four or five-game lull, it could have actually been a very, it could have been a detriment to Denver. Um, for Portland, though, the rest is probably very helpful because Dame has been here and done that before. So I think it's very team-based, but I think for the Nuggets, the fact that they had to battle for seven games give them even more confidence going into the second round of the playoffs against Portland than it would have if they had just won in five. So... It depends on the team, it depends on the circumstances, but I think in this scenario, while the Nuggets could definitely use the rest, they're going to be a lot more equipped, I think, to go into Game 1 ready to go and geared up without having any kind of lull. Um, Last question. Does this series solidify Jokic as a superstar? 
this all comes down to how you define superstar, but I don't care how you define it. Yes, Nikola Jokic is a superstar. He has had a game that has only happened four times ever in playoff history by scoring 43 points, having 12 rebounds and 9 assists. He averaged almost a triple-double, and his 23 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists he averaged has only been done once ever in a playoff series by Oscar Robinson. He had a 14-assist game. He had two triple-doubles, and he carried the Nuggets to through seven games against the Spurs into the second round of the playoffs. Yes, he's a superstar. I'm, that, that question is done with and over with. He has been that good, and he is now officially there. That's it. Thank you guys so much for listening. That is the first round of the playoffs. Here comes the second round on the Portland Trailblazers. I will have a new pod coming out that you'll probably listen to on Monday morning or sometime around there about the Nuggets gearing up to take on Portland. It's going to be an extremely fun series with a whole lot of narrative surrounding it. But until then, I will talk to you guys later. Make sure to subscribe on all the different podcast platforms. Make sure to leave a five-star review, leave some comments, tell your friends, share it on social media. But until then, keep it locked to Mile High Sports, and we will talk to you guys later.